Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now up to, to bat, Brett Boone. Hall of Fame voted. Yes. How is it, okay, how is it that guys have been retired 10, 12 years? Lose a ton of votes? Or gain a ton, <laughs> ton of votes out of nowhere? You, you yeah. voted for the Hall of Fame for a while. Uh, there's so much debate on this. There's so many yeah. things that I disagree with. There's some things I agree with. But the toughest question is asked, well, what would you do differently? That's a tough question. Yeah. I have some ideas, but it's so complex. It's like, I don't know if you could ever do it. I would never let a Hall of current Hall of Famer vote for the Hall of Fame because they don't want anybody in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot yeah. of caveats there. Mel Alton, uh, Mel Alt- Antonin. What did he say? He said, uh, "If you don't like the system, complain to the Hall of Fame." For all yeah. the people out there, the naysayers. Um, but but how is that? How's that happen? 10, 12 years after I retired, I was X percentage last year. Now I'm here, or yeah. the other way around. I was here, and man, I went way up in one year. Well, there's a couple of ways I'd answer that. One is your the rules that the Hall of Fame have. Uh, given to us is that you're only allowed to vote for 10. So there's some years that that there's more than 10 guys that you think are worthy. So you have to leave a couple of them off. And so when the ballot gets a little less congested, because those guys have either made the hall of fame or they've, you know, you're only on the ballot for 10 years. So they leave the ballot. So then there's more room on the ballot. So that's how somebody could gain vote is because now there's room on the ballot for them. And another way you could gain votes is that, you know, the way that we evaluate performance has evolved over the years. You know that, there, the, you know, the, the advent of war, wins above replacement, different ways of looking at productivity uh, have gained a lot of currency over the years. Uh, it's at sabermetrics and analytics and all that. So I think somebody who was regarded as great 20 years ago, I think maybe, or not great 20 years ago, we've come to appreciate. I think that happened with Burt Blylevin, who um, uh, was, was passed over year after year and then finally made it because I think a lot of people who were analytic types realized how great he was and started to advocate for him and convinced a lot of people that he was better than you had thought. And I think they, that sometimes players will get a second look. And I think that's what ha- has happened. I think that happened with Edgar. I know what happened with Edgar. I, I followed yeah. he, I followed that very closely. He was down to like 20% his third or fourth year. He was hope- It was hopeless for him. And then people started looking closer. Some really influential people wrote some essays saying, hey, this guy is a Hall of Famer, and here's why. And he slowly started gaining votes and that kind of built on itself. Uh, other people starts to, to see, well, if this guy's now getting 50%, I'd better take another look at him. And he went over the top by his last year, his, his last year on the ballot, he got in with over 80%. It was an, an amazing rise. And, 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 and I, te- I teased Edgar because right at the time he, he was like last ballot, Trevor Hoffman, a buddy of mine was like last ballot. Yeah. 
but yet there's an award named after him, the Edgar Martinez Award and the Trevor Hoffman. I said, Poppy, I remember going down the stretch with him. I said, you're in. He said, how yeah. do you know? I said, because they can't have an award about you and not be in the Hall of Fame. It's impossible. This is yeah. already, already predetermined. But, yeah, one of the greatest, obviously, and one of my good friends in the game. Uh, you wrote a book about him. We're going to get to that in a second. But when it when it comes to the Hall of Fame, how hard is it? How much time do you spend? Yeah, just those two. How hard is it and how much time do you spend really uh, going into this? It's hard. Uh, you know, you you get to vote when you're a 10-year member of the Baseball Writers Association of America. So I've been voting for – I'm about a 35-year member. So I've been voting for about 25 years, and I take it extremely seriously. And I, I know it's a sacred responsibility, and I try to treat it as, as such. There's, there's only – 400 or 500 of us who have that honor of getting to vote and you're affecting people's lives and legacies. Mm -hmm. So, so you have to take it seriously. And I pour over the stats and the research and the articles and, uh, you know, a year, every year and, and try to come up with the, the best. I know you're going to, you're going to piss off people, no matter how you vote, you know, there's so everybody complains about your vote, but nobody, can agree if any voting you know, people who say the writers shouldn't do it, the former players should do it. Well, the former players won't have consensus either in any body of, uh, of, uh, of people who are voting are going to have the same uh, disagreements about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Alex Rodriguez. It's probably, uh, there's, there's no way to, to come up with a consensus on that. So, you know, I think the, the, the hall of fame, like Mel Antman, you pointed out the hall of fame is the one who decides who gets to vote. And they've decided on the BBWAA for about a hundred years. So, um, they're, you know, it's, they're free to change it if they want, but they haven't felt the need to. And, you know, obviously I haven't voted on many things, but I voted, uh, we, at the end of the year, we get the player's choice. Yeah. And I, I'm telling you, I took that as serious as you could possibly take it. Cause I thought, I completely detached emotion because as players, mm -hmm. we have our favorite guys. We have guys on the other side, maybe that we've never met. We yeah. can't stand them the way they walk, the way they talk, <laughs> the way they play. Uh, by the way, a lot of times uh, when I was a young player, I, I put those in my mind uh, on a, on a, on an opponent. And then years later and off season at a function, I'd meet him and I'd be like, damn it. I actually like that guy. And I've hated <laughs> him for years. Yeah. So I was really the one thing that was, paramount for me when when voting it and it's not that it's a big deal it's a player's choice but i took it as a big deal and i thought it doesn't matter what i think of that because there were some guys i'd put down that i couldn't stand mm -hmm. opponents but that didn't matter in that moment it's like it doesn't matter what i think of them whether i like them whether i dislike them uh if you earn it you earn it and you're going to be on my ballot no matter what and actually i found it kind of easy like once i went over the numbers and thought this year, this particular guy deserves to be the guy at this position because, and yeah, Brett, you, you can't stand that guy. He, you know, he spiked you mm -hmm. and said, I don't care. I see the numbers and you deserve it. And I know how tough awards are to get that when you deserve one and you don't get one, it's like, oh my goodness, there's, yeah. there's one gone. So I always make sure that my vote's going to be, hey, this might be the only time this guy wins this award yeah. and I don't like him but I'll tell you what, he's earned it. So I put it down. So that that's simplify how I would think when, when given yeah. a ballot. 
Yeah, and that's what I try to do, too. I voted for the Hall of Fame for people I don't like at all. And uh, there's other people who couldn't have been more cooperative, and I just don't Can't think pull the they're trigger, yeah. And they're, yeah. They're, not, they're not quite Hall of Famers. What makes it tough is there's this whole group of tweeners who are just about Hall of Famers, but maybe not quite. And uh, yeah. and that's what makes it hard. Uh, you know, you're, you're on that list. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll just wait. We'll just wait till we get really old. Then you, yeah, booty. <laughs> hey, you know what he did? <laughs> I, I see that, you know, because all the second, yeah. all the guys that I grew up watching and were great yeah. players and are just on the cusp, you know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's tough to make it to say for sure he's a Hall of Famer, you know, yeah. it seems as, as time goes on, they start to get, hey, let's relook at him, you know? Yeah. Who and knows, that's, Larry? That's, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? Well, that's what the veterans, that, that, that's the other thing. There's a fallback. Once you're off the writer's ballot, you go on to the Veterans Committee, uh, which is uh, current Hall of Famers and as well as other people in uh, baseball. And, you know, that's where I, know, I think it's cool. They have that, by the way, because I think the Hall of Fame is for the fans. Yes, I think yeah. it is. It should be for those elite players that did elite things in their mm -hmm. time. But I don't like, you know, it seems like the football NFL, they're, they're inducting six, seven guys a year. You know, they're right. all over the place. When people go to Cooperstown, they want to see. I, I wish there'd be a few more guys in. I still think you have to make it sacred, a sacred place. But at the same time, I'd like to I'd like to let a few more people in uh, your time in Seattle. Obviously, it's been a long time. I want to do a quick rapid fire with you. And, and just a sentence, if you want, about these okay. individuals. Uh, and it's going to be some of the biggest guys in, in Seattle in the Mariners' history. So we're going to start with Big Unit. Yeah, big, moody, temperamental, but a lot of fun. I can say that as a player, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed covering him. I knew I knew uh, I learned quickly that you just uh, avoid him on the day he pitches or the day before he pitches. But if you got him in the right mood, he could talk forever and uh, gave some of the best interviews I ever had. A-Rod. Uh, I think A-Rod, when he first came up, he was the the media thought he was the best thing that ever happened. He was so cooperative, and then something happened. I think I think when he didn't win in 1996, uh, that was his breakout year. He hit about 356 with about 50. He won the batting title. He won the batting title. He was 21 yeah. years old. Yeah. And I think he thought he, you know, you, what you just said that sometimes you think you're going to win award. And he thought he was the MVP that year. And both Seattle writers voted for, for Griff Griffey. And, uh, I think he took that very hard. And, and I don't know if it was ever the same in Seattle. Actually, neither of them won. Juan Gonzalez won that year because those two kind of split the vote. But, um, uh, he changed and, um, you know, we we uh, we all saw what Arod became, but pure talent-wise, uh, we you and I talked about this the other day. As purely talented a baseball player, uh, before things went bad for him, as I've ever seen. I agree, and and you know, he's he's kind of a polarizing figure in today's game. Um, but people forget, you know, yeah. you're always talking about who are the great, you know, the greatest of the greats, and they always mention him. You you want to talk about numbers? Yeah. <laughs> Alex is like top five in the history of this earth. 
when it comes to numbers. I mean, look at them one day. They're impressive for those of you out there. And, and he's never mentioned with the great of the greats, I think because of, you know, the baggage that has been picked up over the years. But you talk about a talent, you know, talking about these young players today, you've got a, an Acuna, uh, obviously a guy you get to watch on a daily basis, Julio, um, Tatis Jr. in San Diego. These are once in a lifetime talents. And, and when I'm talking about them, they're like, well, is he kind of like A-Rod? And I kind of like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> a like you mentioned, when A-Rod was 21, he wasn't hitting 286. He was hitting 357 with 50. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy, that, I don't know if we've ever seen that before. These guys today, obviously, very talented. But to just rush and, and put the A-Rod, hang the A-Rod tag on him, that's, that's rare air for me. It's like hanging a junior. Oh, he's like a King Griffey. Wait a minute. I yeah. played with Junior. That's one of the freakiest guys I've ever been. When I say freaky, I mean it in a in a good way. Uh, so yeah, it's tough. It's tough for us to guys that played in in certain generations. To I remember when my dad retired and and Randy Johnson was coming along, and my dad had a tough time, especially before Randy, you know, had this unbelievable Hall of Fame career in the middle of his career, comparing him to a Steve Carlton, mm -hmm. who my dad in his day, he was the lefty, the greatest lefty of all time in my dad's eyes. So he couldn't give, it was tough for him to compare the big unit to Carlton. Now when it's all yeah. said and done and his body of work. Now my dad says, Oh, without a doubt, Steve Carlton was the best lefty of our generation. I think, I think the unit is definitely the best lefty yeah. of your generation, but to hang that on him early, it's like, wait a minute, I got to see a little bit more before <laughs> I give you that, that big yeah. of a uh, compliment. Uh, Jay Buhner. Yeah, Jay probably maybe his most most fun to cover of anybody. Uh, I mean, he he was there were so many superstars on that team, Hall of Famers. You know, we've talked about a few of them. Unit, uh, Edgar, and 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 Griffey are all in the Hall of Fame. But I think Buner was the heart and soul of that of that clubhouse. I mean, he had such a magnetic personality that everyone gravitated towards him, and he was a great player in his own right. But he uh, he'd tell you he wasn't up he wasn't the stature of those guys and yet he ran that team in a lot of ways so uh, just a, just and he was a lot of fun to cover very outspoken uh, would say whatever he felt and he loved that as a as a media person and um, yeah I just talked to him fairly recently and he hasn't changed Ichiro <laughs> yeah well you you were there when he came up and. I'll never forget that spring when he was not pulling the ball with authority and Lou was going crazy. Who, what, what I was told this guy could hit. I want to see it. And he told Ichiro, like, you got to start pulling the ball and showing you can handle these pitchers. And that did his first at bat. He had a, in spring, this is spring training in Peoria. He, he had a home run onto the berm in right field and he, came back and said, Lou, is that good enough for you? And then he kind of took off. But uh, the whole spectacle around him that year, that first year with the media, the Japanese media, and not knowing what to expect and just having him burst upon the scene uh, the way he did um, was special, something I'll never forget. And then the 04, you got, it was a terrible Mariners team that lost 99 games, but he set the all-time hit record. And uh, that was a blast to wa watch that develop and unfold down the stretch. That was also the year that Edgar announced his retirement. So 
going into the last week of the season, you had Edgar's final few games and Ichiro closing in on George Sisler's record. And that that's a memorable time in Mariner history that I'll never forget, even in a 99 loss season. Uh, modern, modern day guy, Julio, 22 years old. Uh, yeah. Man, he's talented. Watching him this second half, especially yeah. what he's capable of. I think if he can remain healthy, this guy's going to be one of those special, special players. Yeah, I've, I first interviewed him in the fall league when he was 19 years old. And I came out of that and I told people that I knew this kid is unbelievable. He, he had such a great head on his shoulders and you could just tell. And he he's just one of those guys that just oozes talent and charisma. And really, I hadn't seen, he reminded me of impact of just like, I thought he could, could be one of those great players that the Mariners have had, like a Griffey or a, or a early A-Rod. And maybe that's too much pressure, but he sort of takes that on himself. He wants to be that kind of player. And I, yeah, I think he has a great head on his shoulders too. I don't think success is going to spoil him. And, uh, I think we've only seen just the, the scratching the surface of what he could be. Leave the I'll leave the best for last. You know, one of my best friends in the game. Uh, when we, my time in Seattle was a lot of it was spent with Edgar, but Edgar Martinez. You wrote a book yeah. about him. Um, Larry Stone. What sets Edgar Martinez apart? Yeah, I think his humility for one thing. Uh, he's as down to earth a person as you're ever going to find, as you know. But I think that hides, or, or not hides, but it sort of uh, uh, masquerades an, an inten burning intensity that he had. That, you know, he overcame that eye problem that would have ended a lot of careers. He you know, basically had to learn to see with one eye and do all those eye exercises that I'm sure. Oh you yeah, I, oh I love, I love. <laughs> busting edgar's balls every day oh edgar you gonna get the record player out today <laughs> yeah. but he, and he would laugh oh booney i have to <laughs> yeah yeah but uh yeah I, I just think he's a he's a genuine person and you know as talented a pure hitter as as you're ever gonna find and uh and now that i reach the end of my career when people ask me for the high points i think that the best moment i ever had in my career was when he uh, made the Hall of Fame. He allowed me, the, the whole Martinez family went to New York uh, on the day they were going to announce it. And they let me come and I hung out in his hotel suite with with Holly and, and, and Edgar and the kids. And that was basically it. Tim Heavily with the Mariners. There was maybe 10 of us in that room when he got the call saying that he made the Hall of Fame. And so I was there, you know, I, no one in the world knew they, they didn't make it public for another hour, but I, I got to see the family's joy and his joy and all that. And that's that, that to have, to have a front row seat to watch that was just incredible. And I'll, I'll always treasure that, that day. Speaking of the Mariners, Mariners, they're pretty good. All-Star break. I, I was there for the All-Star break for all those festivities. Seattle did a great job, and I've talked about this before. Uh, but the overwhelming sentiment I had then from, from people that work for the Mariners to the fans on the street was, uh, you know, when I was greeted, Brett, great to see you back. Uh, reminds us we were here in 2001, the last time the All-Star game was there. Seattle did a great job then. But what I heard most was, I wish our team was doing better. 
Yeah. And, and I had that same sentiment. It's like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if they were in first place with all these kind of a cherry on top? Well, since then, mm-hmm. I think they were 10 games out or so. For a minute, a week ago, they were leading the division. I never yeah. thought that, and I don't think you thought that either, that that the division was in reach. Uh, it was, you're going to be fighting your your tail off for a a, uh, a wild card berth. All of a sudden, today, I wake up. Uh, if it ended today, I think they're in a tie for the third wild card spot. And I think we've got 14, 13, 13 games to go. Um, you've been watching this team. You watched them last year, 90 games, got to the postseason. I think if that Verlander in game one with, with the Astros goes differently, it might be a different series, but it didn't. They ended up getting swept. They won 90 games a year ago. Two years ago, they won 90 games, just missed getting into the playoffs. Similar nucleus, although we've had some new guys. Uh, Robbie Ray missed the season, uh, but the young Miller and a young Wu have stepped up to, to be that fourth and fifth in the rotation. What do you see from this team? How good are they? Well, uh, it's been like almost two different seasons. Like you said, it was very lackluster for the first half at the All-Star break. It looked pretty dismal. And then they just took off in August. They won more games than the Mariners have ever won in August, more than the 2001 Mariners that won 116 games. So, and that put them right in the thick of the race. And as you said, it put them in the first place. And then I think everybody's evaluation changed to this is a team that should make the playoffs. They they had put themselves in position and then September started and they proceeded to go uh, five and 11. And I think, they won yesterday, and so they're still a the, the very poor September. But it's going to—they have still have seven games left with the Rangers, who they're tied with, and three with the Astros. Yeah, that's they, that they finished with ten games against those two teams. So that's going to determine. It's there for the taking for them. It's, but uh, I always felt they had a chance to come back because they had the pitching. They they had uh, you know Castillo, Gilbert, and Kirby, three studs in the rotation. And then these two kids who came up, the, the Wu and Miller uh, showed that they are formidable too. So any team that can throw a good starter out there pretty much every night where you like your chances, that's gonna, over a 162 game season. That's going to, that's going to play out and that's, and that's going to prevail. And so I thought that they would hit a stretch where they would just out pitch teams. And that's what happened. And then the bats, then Julio, decided to go uh, uh, into warp speed and carried them in, in August. And, uh, and now, we'll, now I think some of those pitchers are kind of on fumes and, and the bats have cooled off a little, so it's going to be nip and tuck down the stretch. But I think they have a, they have a good shot at the wild card spot because the Rangers are, are, are really really hurting they their bullpen is just killing them right now and i think they're vulnerable for the mariners to, to, to take them down the stretch yeah i think i look at the bullpen and uh for the rangers i think they're 12th in the league that's that's their weakness best offense in the in the american league probably yeah. only rivaled by the atlanta and all uh, the atlanta braves and all of baseball for offenses yeah. uh i'll tell you you never wish bad on anybody but uh Scherzer are going down. Yeah, man. Because I, I I was doing uh I was doing the fan in Texas and they talked to me about the Rangers. I said, well, if you get Scherzer and Evaldi 
pitching like they can. And and I always I always go back to my generation. And the last time I remember something like that was 2001 when it was Randy Johnson. It was Kurt Schilling for the for the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you have two horses like that, they can completely take over a postseason. Now postseason is a little different. You've got more rounds to get through. So, man, you're going to wear out if you only got two guys. But Texas up and down with Gray, and they added Montgomery from St. Louis. They're they're deep as far as that starting rotation. Scherzer out now. Anytime they say, well, uh, he's going to miss the remainder of the season, we'll see about the postseason. Don't plan on that postseason because you wouldn't (laughs) miss the remainder. Uh, But like you said, there's the, the, the Mariners finish up with Texas, Houston, Texas. So basically as a player... You really can't ask for anything other. Hey, we control our own destiny right here. We yeah. win the most games, and and then it's not even about the wild card; it's about the division. They're only a game and a half, game and a half out of the Houston Astros, and, and you still you worry about them because the Astros have been awful quiet this year. Nobody's been talking about the Astros. I think that's because they're so they've been so good for so long now. But yeah. they're going to be there in the end. Who do you see around the league? Let's let's just stick with the American League. I know Baltimore's been a great story. Tampa Bay, whatever they're doing, they've got a unicorn uh, organization over there. It seems every year, year in and year out, they just they just churn out winning teams that get to the postseason. For me, in in the Central, I don't see much. Minnesota's winning yeah. a terrible division, uh, but a Houston, Texas, Seattle. What do you see the postseason? Who really uh, from the games you've watched this year? kind of caught your eye like watch out for those guys yeah well if the astros just because of their pedigree uh i think are always going to be tough if, if they make it but they're I mean, you look at the astros they lost two out of three to oakland two out of three to kansas city this is in the last week plus and then last night they had two run lead in the ninth inning and they gave up a three-run homer to the cedric mullins and lost to the to the orioles so they're they're floundering a little bit um so i mean i think they're vulnerable for the Mariners to to maybe catch them but we'll see but they're also you know they're a proud group who I think they think they're sort of preordained to win that division but uh Tampa Bay they're amazing you're right uh you look at the names on that team and they're not household names but they just know how to put together a team that that's good in every aspect and yeah, I think they're going to be very formidable when you get to the postseason because they have a good bullpen, good rotation, and uh, somehow they've got a lineup that just top to bottom, they they have platoons, and uh, they just know how to match up. And, and the other team that's kind of on the rise is the Orioles. The, lots of great young players, as Gunnar Henderson is something else. Uh, Adley Rutschman, the, the catcher from, from Oregon, very, very good rising star. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure if they quite have the pitching to go all the way, but I think that's a team that's going to be a force in the American League for years to come because they, they're very young and they got more talent coming. So, But I think uh, the, the Braves are the odds-on favorite to win the whole, the whole thing yeah. this year. They've they, the unbelievable lineup, frontline pitching. Uh, I think, you know, there's in baseball – who knows who's going to win? The best team doesn't always win. And the year, that year that the Phillies got, remember they had the four aces with Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay and uh, Oswald. And I can't remember who the fourth was, but um, everyone gave them the, the pennant in the World Series and they didn't even get there. So you just never know when it comes to right. the postseason. 
Dodgers a year ago, winning 111 yeah. games. And uh, an 89-win Padre team knocks them off. For me, I, I look at the AL, and there's some talented teams there. I mean, teams that if you just yeah. send them to me, I say they could go deep into the postseason. But it's, okay, we know Baltimore's in. We know Tampa Bay's in. We know Minnesota's in. There's three spots. Yeah. And you got Houston, Texas, Seattle, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, one of those is not going to make it. <laughs> one of them's not going to make those, it. And, and that's four real good teams. Yeah. Toronto, they're known for their offense. They can pitch. Toronto yeah. can pitch. So it's going to be really interesting down the stretch. I think it should be a fun stretch. And, and uh, you know, you talk about late in the year uh, being tired because it is a long year. You got spring training and then you got 162 games. Of course you're tired. But when you're in a pennant race like this, and, and as you mentioned, Texas, Houston, Texas to finish for the Mariners, not only for the Mariners, but that's a, that's an exciting finish for the Rangers. So I would assume those last two weeks, nobody's going to be tired with everything that's going to be on the line. It's going to be a, a hell of a run. It's going to be fun. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait. And I agree with you. I think from the Mariners standpoint, uh, I think they should be happy they're playing those teams. They don't have then you don't have to rely on somebody else beating those right. teams. You, if you if you want it, you beat them yourself, and uh, and then you don't have to worry. You're you've picked up a game no matter what happens if you beat uh, Houston or 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 uh, or Texas. Right right now they've sort of had to scoreboard watch and hope other teams knock off the teams that they're they're catching. But that stops come. Uh, I mean, you're still going to watch the scoreboard to see how Toronto does or whichever one of those two teams that you're not playing, but it it's in your own hands. If you win, it doesn't really matter what the other teams do because you're going to make the postseason. Well, Larry Stone, I appreciate it. Congratulations on a great career. You're, you're stepping aside November. It's going to be weird. You're going to be like the rest of us. You have to find something else to do. You could reverse. You could become a ball player and there you I'll go. jump in your media seat. Yeah, uh, but it's been a pleasure all these years, Larry. We've always stayed in touch. Uh, class act, true professional, and I appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, uh, these Mariners do get in the postseason, and I'll get to spend a little time with you in the postseason if I come up to Seattle. But it's been wonderful having you on the on the show, and I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and for all you out there watching the Boone podcast, listening to the Boone podcast, wherever it may be, I appreciate you doing it. And we'll see you next time. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company.